touched on this morning in the aspect of what do I do about it? Just as a matter of review, um, why America really is in trouble, we said because of the 57 million who have been murdered since 1973, because we have consistently and adamantly rejected God's design and God's law in so many areas, because we are turning our back on Israel and... Um, and again, in doing that, God says that He will bless those that bless Israel and He will curse those that um, curse Israel. And the fact that the U.S. does not play a part in Bible prophecy. You won't find references to it. You'll find references to uh, Russia, to the rebuilt Roman Empire... Um, and so on, uh, but you won't find references to the U.S. So that definitely means that we're not going to be a major player. And you could come to a lot of conclusions about that. Um, why is that so? Uh, I think there will be a number of contributing factors to that. Some say, well, when the Lord comes again, um, there'll be a large number of believers from the U.S. Probably the, the nation that will have the most believers leave will probably be China. Um, but there will be a profound impact when the Lord comes again. And... Um, and Years ago, I used to think, how are they going to explain that away? And then I came to think, well, they really don't care because they'll just be glad that we're out of here. You know what I mean? In part, um, we're the ones holding back this progressive movement to bring utopia, and, and we're the ones that are always um, resisting their movement. And then, in addition to that, have you noticed all the talk about aliens and, and everything like that, uh, if you pay any attention at all, and if you drive late at night like Joe and have, um, what's that show on the radio? Coast to coast, yeah. You know that there are wackos behind every bush that think that... Um, Aliens are coming to get us, but really, it's amazing um, how many people, that could be a very plausible excuse for what happened to, to these believers. But um, what we want to look at tonight is, uh, having looked at Romans chapter 1 this morning, um, is, okay, what do we do about it? And this morning we just briefly touched on these, and tonight I want to I look at it in more detail. The book of Philippians, understand that all throughout history, um, 
the majority of Christians have not lived in favorable conditions. We have been richly favored in our land for all these years that even tonight, as, as far as we have removed from God, that we still have rich, rich blessings in the lands that we're in that most people throughout all of history have never been blessed like this. Um, when Paul wrote this letter, he was imprisoned for the preaching of the gospel. Tonight, around the world, there are many people who are living under severe persecution. Do you understand there are people all over the world that would think they died and went to heaven if they were able to be in a meeting like this tonight? I mean, there are, there are believers in countries that aren't really under persecution, but there's just one or two of them, and they gather together, that's all they know, just those few, and to gather together and sing songs and have many other believers and to share together in that, that would be, that would be the richest thing that they could imagine on the earth here. And it's easy for us to just take that for granted. But understand um, how, how rich we have had the opportunities that God has given to us. And as, as those liberties and those freedoms disappear, um, it's easy to, to get an attitude of whining about it and complaining about it, but understand, um, thank the Lord for what we've had and thank the Lord for what we're going to have regardless what the circumstances are. So, in Philippians chapter 2, writing from a prison cell, writing to encourage believers um, throughout the whole book of Philippians, he's exhorting them, he's encouraging them, and uh, to be strong in the Lord, to have the mind of Christ, to rejoice in the Lord in all things. And in Philippians chapter 2, verse 14, "...do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless, the children of God without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world." holding forth the word of life, that you may rejoice in the day of Christ that you have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. <clears throat> so he, he says, here we are in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, generation. He says, and I want you to hold fast or to hold forth the word of life so that he could rejoice in the day of Christ that he had not labored in vain, so that we could rejoice that um, we can give a good account before God. But he says, and it, it was no big thing, he says, of course we know it's a wicked and perverse nation. Sometimes we get caught up wringing our hands about how bad things are. 
what do you expect in this world? I mean, we have been richly blessed, but in this world, without the regeneration of Jesus Christ, what do you expect? They're not going to embrace the ways of God. They're not going to follow God. They're not going to naturally have godly morals and so on. So he says, that's why I've put you here. That you may be lights in the midst of darkness. That you may make a difference. Think about it. When you got saved, Christ began a work in you to shape you to the image of His Son. Romans chapter 8 tells us. But, Why does He want us to be like Jesus Christ? So that we can make a difference in the lives of others. If all it was was to get us to be like Christ, then the moment you got saved, He should strike you with lightning or kill you or something, because the moment you see Christ, you will be like Him. The purpose of being like Christ, the purpose of Christian growth, I think sometimes we lose sight of what our purpose of Christian growth, so I can give a better picture of what Christ is like, so that I can make a difference in someone's life, not just, yep, I've overcome anger, and I am self-disciplined in my life by the Spirit of God, and I have really grown to know the things of God, and look at me, I am a good Christian. That's not the purpose of it. The purpose is so that we can be in the midst of a wicked and perverse generation that we may shine as lights. So, uh, going on and, and looking, what do we do about it? Okay, things aren't necessarily good. What do we do about it? We said, number one, make sure you are a child of God. So we ask, what shows that I am a follower of Christ? What in my life shows that I truly am a follower of Christ? Um, John talks about, he keeps coming back to three things over and over again. One is um, that we are right about Jesus Christ, that we see Him alone as the Messiah, the Savior, He alone. That we are committed to obedience and that we have a love for the brethren. But let me just, let me just um, ask these questions that throughout Scripture are other evidences. You know, nowhere does he um, say just because we go to church is an evidence that we are a Christian. But rather, do I have a hunger for the Word of God? As newborn babes desire the milk of the Word so that you may grow. I mean, this first question, it's easy for us to skip over it, but it is foundational. Um, Just because we prayed a prayer or someone told us we prayed a prayer doesn't mean we're a child of God. What is evidence that we are? Do I have a hunger for the Word? Is there a new awareness of right and wrong in my life since I came to know Christ the Savior? There ought to be. The Spirit of God takes up residence in our life, and He starts saying, no, you shouldn't be thinking that. 
Yes, this is something you should do. No, that's not something you should do. Yes, this is... There's a brand new awareness. Things should, should start being noticed by us because of the Spirit of God in our life. There's a new awareness of right and wrong, a new conviction of sin. There should be a new desire to be like Jesus. He has predetermined that we should be conformed to the image of His Son. So if I really am a child of God, I will have a desire to be like Jesus. Um, I will have a desire to proclaim Christ, the Bible tells us. I will have a desire for fellowship with Christ and with other believers. That it's not like, oh boy, i got to go talk to these other believers. No, and, and it's not just talking about other things. There's a, there's a spiritual life. There's a, a desire to share what God is doing and to learn from others. So what, if you were put on trial, as the old saying goes, if you were put on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to find you guilty? And that's a serious thought. I mean, think of it. We are, we are on the verge of, of major things happening in, in this world. What if the Lord came Tuesday of this week? I'm just using it as an illustration. I mean, you don't want to have in doubt, am I really? And you go down and say, you know, I really don't have a desire for the Word and... Well, I know right and wrong, but you were taught that way. Is there a new awareness of right and wrong? Is there a, a fresh working of your spirit and so on? Can you imagine? And the Bible says this is going to happen, that many will have thought they were saved, but aren't. Matthew 7 tells us that. I can't think of anything worse than... than do you understand... If, if the Lord came on Tuesday, we'd probably have a record attendance here at church on Wednesday. I'm not going to be here to count, but um, there probably will be. Just, if nothing else, showing up, did all those guys leave? But can you imagine, if you're here tonight and you're really not saved, can you imagine all that you've heard and you're going to know what's going down? That, I can't imagine anything worse. Okay, so we've settled that, let's say. In the midst of all that's going on in our lives and in our world, we are to build our faith. So we ask the question, how am I building my faith? What truths are you standing upon? What Scripture do you have written in your heart? I, I read some time ago um, some characteristics of Christians that, that survived, their faith survived persecution. And... Uh, one of them was they had large portions of Scripture memorized. In, in the midst of persecution, 
you're only going to have what you have personalized. There, there is and has been some rhyme or reason to, over the last 12 to 15 weeks, we've been trying to insert, um, reminding you of the ten timeless truths about God. That we need to personalize that He will always meet my genuine needs. Always. That He will always forgive my sin. Always. That He is always up to something good in my life. Always. That He always loves me personally. You know what? These are things that when everything's caving around you and Satan's tempting you, thinking that God has forsaken you and He's forgotten forgotten you, um, that you're going to have to come back to these things and say, you know what, it may seem like um, God has forgotten me and I don't have what I need, but I know that God will always give me the grace I need, always. When everything else may be screaming the opposite. Our faith needs to be rooted in the nature of God and the character of God that says, I know this is what God is, and regardless, you can't move me from this. But that doesn't just happen by all of a sudden we're thrust into it. That I know that God is always in control of all things, that He's always present with me, that He's always the same, that He's always trustworthy, that He's always wise. Now, those would be helpful in knowing, and, and some of those will be, those will be reiterated in, in the aspect of quieting a noisy soul. But um, this aspect, what are you doing to build your faith? What do you do out of obedience to God that, okay, this is what God said, whether you understand it or not, yep, that's what I'm going to do. That's faith. And we can't live by faith in some time in the future if we're not living by faith now. Obedience builds our faith. Obedience is what strengthens and establishes. Hey, I took this step of obedience and God proved faithful and God proved true. I, I know I can trust God. Face it, when doubts can come in life and when hard, hard times come, you better believe Satan will be trying to destroy your faith. I mean, I think of Pastor Saeed in prison and others that have been imprisoned. My goodness, unless you have a faith that is rooted in God, it won't make it. So that means I need to be building my faith now. What is it that I'm doing to build my faith? Is this going to build my faith by me doing this? Now, there's a lot of good things that we can listen to that, that builds our faith. How am I building my faith? Then thirdly, we said we need to see the big picture. So we asked this question. What am I doing to get God's perspective? 
we naturally see our perspective on the world. We must be trained to see God's perspective. I mean, to, to train ourselves to see what is God's view on this. Do you, do you see the, the world news from God's perspective? I mean, we mentioned this morning, um, seeing the news that Russia and Iran are becoming partners. Ah, the Bible talks about that. And that um, we're seeing all this all around Israel, the hatred for Israel and and they don't even belong there. And, and we're seeing in Christian circles this, um, uh, this teaching that Israel doesn't matter anymore. I, I remember um, one of the, one of the um, speakers that we had from Friends of Israel said, I call churches to, to try to get a meeting and Bible-believing churches say, if you're with friends of Israel, no. If you were with friends of Palestinians, we'd have you come in. There is a growing hatred in Bible-believing circles for Israel. Do you Now, what's God's perspective on that? Well, it shouldn't surprise us. The whole, the whole world is going to turn against them. And we're seeing it. When you see, as I mentioned this morning, the, the goings-on with the prime minister coming here, how do you see that from God's perspective? And, and stepping back and asking, I'm not saying everything, you know, oh, there was an earthquake and it was a big one. That means we're close to the Lord's return. But stepping back and see the big picture. You understand God is in control who is the President of the United States and who is the Speaker of the House and who all the other people are. God's in control of that. Why would God allow stuff like this to go on? Ask those questions. You know, you can pretty well answer them when you think about it. I mean, they've rejected me? Okay, have your way. But you must know prophecy. It's, it's know the Bible. See how things are working together. What do I do to try to get God's perspective? And it's not like, okay, I've got God's perspective. It's something that you grow in. It's something that you have to develop in. And it's learning to see the big picture. God is at work. Things will turn out right. Truth does prevail, and God will be glorified. And then this morning we mentioned that we are to love others enough to warn them. So we ask this question, who has God put in your life to love? And we can say the spiritual answer, everyone. I am to love everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the good Pharisee answer. But who has intersected into your life? Who is it, first of all, that you live with? 
that God has called you to love? And who is it you work with? And do you see them? God has put them in my life, and I am on a mission to love them and to allow Christ to love them through me. Now, that's where it gets personal. That's where it gets down to the nitty-gritty. That um, God, people that God brings in your life, He wants you to touch them in some way. He wants you to plant a seed. He wants you to be an influence that, as Mark Cahill says, helps them to be one step closer to Christ. Or maybe it wasn't Mark Cahill. Maybe it was David Geisler. But it's truth, whatever it is, okay? When people see you, do they, do they say, there is a person that is a blessing, there is a person that loves everyone, or do they stop and say, there is a person that points out what's wrong in everyone. There is a person that sits on their hoity-toity and says, look how good we are by their attitude, and, and points out what's wrong with everybody else. The people God brings in your life, do you see it? God, here's a, here's a person you brought in my life, and this is a wonderful mission. How can I show them you? How can I get the love of you to them? Some of it may begin by just smiling and greeting them. It may be just meeting a, a personal need, but it begins in our family, but it begins with every person that we come across. Be on a mission. How can I get the truth to this person? How can I show them the difference Christ has made in my life? And then we said we need to repent. So we asked this question. What do I need to change in my life right now? I mean, uh, a successful coach... You will hear announcers say, we'll see what kind of changes they make at halftime. If, if it's not working in the first half and you just keep doing the same thing, yeah, it's probably not going to change much. We'll just do it harder, do the same thing harder or faster or whatever. That, what do I need to change in my life to make me more effective for Christ? To make the light shine brighter? What is it I know that God's Spirit has asked me to do? As we mentioned this morning, to have a sense of urgency. Listen, we don't have all the time in the world. Number one, you're going to die, okay? So, figure out... <laughs> Figure out how many marbles you have left. By that, we've illustrated before, if you put every marble in your life represented one day of your life, we don't know how many marbles we have left. I've lost most of my marbles. Amen? But you know what? Every day there's another marble taken out of there. I mean, if you, if you drew a line and, and let's say the average age of a person is 75 and you drew a line, this is zero and this is 75, or for you, this is zero and this is 75, 
Where would you where would your mark, your current age right now? I know some of you are off the end already, right? But take a look at that. We say middle aged is fifty. That's if you live to be a hundred. That's not middle aged. Middle aged is thirty five. Some I'm really gonna depress you. Some of you are middle aged right now and you still think you're young. No, your life is half gone, honestly. Think about it. We need a sense of urgency. Take your kids. If you have them with you, let's say let's just say till they're twenty. Mark where they are right now. And you think, it can't come soon enough. Some of you are thinking tonight, all right? But listen, we, we think we have forever with them. No, you only have a short window here. And, and the reality, if anyone should have a sense of urgency and run a hurry-up offense, it should be we as Christians. We have something to live for. We have something to invest in this. But it comes back and saying, okay, God, what is it that I can change in my life to make me more effective for you? What is it that you want me to change? And that's really what repentance is, is turning from the path that I'm going. It's not just in regard to salvation. It's in regard to our life. This is what I've been doing. But you know what? This is what I now need to do. And to to specifically ask God, God, what is it you want me to change in my life? You know what? Most of us, if, if we're sincere and serious Christians, we have a pretty good idea of what we need to change. But if you ask God, He'd He'd be willing to show us. And and you go out tonight. And you go downstairs and you sit at a table. Those are people God's put in your life that He wants you to love, that He wants you to encourage, that He wants you to strengthen and establish. You go out and you go to work tomorrow, and that person that you work next to, that's someone God says, here's your mission. You're on a mission. And I, I want you to influence and, and model and, and show them what a real Christian is like. When you see things happening in the world today, how do you see it? From God's perspective, the big perspective? And foundationally, what, are you, what did you do this last week to build your faith? If it, if it doesn't involve the Word of God, it's not going to build your faith because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And the first question is, am I really, is there evidence that I am a child of God? Heavenly Father, I pray that we would truly examine our lives so that our lives would be used of you to make a difference in the midst of this wicked and perverse nation that we live. Lord, it is not that we are better than anyone else. It is only by Your grace. And I pray tonight that we would be um, motivated by Your love to care for others, to make the changes in our life, to strengthen and establish our faith 
that the root of the righteous would produce much fruit. Lord, may our roots go deep into Your character and in Your Word and Your nature. And may whatever storms may come, may we stand and be fruit-bearing for Your glory. Lord, we need You. We give thanks to this great land in which we live As the song said, truly you have shed your grace on this land. But Lord, our hearts are burdened and and filled with grief when we see the path that we as a nation have taken. And Lord, we plead your mercies. Would you please bring a spiritual awakening personally? collectively as a church body and in our land that would mightily show forth Your glory. Lord, may we individually be challenged by these questions tonight, and as a result, may there be great glory brought to You. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.